Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Missed Apex Mugs. Go buy a mug. Go to www.mistapexpodcast.com slash buy stuff. This episode is called, Well, They've Done It Again. I'm your host, Matt Trumpets, and I'm joined from a motorhome in Cornwall by regular host, Spanners Ready. How are you doing there, Spanners? I'm good. I'm doing all the things I tell guys on the panel not to do. I'm on a mobile connection. I've got seagulls in the background. Look, do as I say, not as I do. Sorry. Yes, and that would be terrifying, Vettel. And speaking of Vettel, do you know who we are also joined by today? Bradley, Vettel smashing race of champions, thrashing honest-to-goodness race car driving superstar, international icon, and all-round nice guy, Philpot has jumped in to fulfill the role of secondary host when your connection inevitably drops out. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for finally using my proper intro. You like that? It, it's a bit. It's a bit of a, a bit of a handful to get all the way through in one breath. But I mean, for a world champion beater, I'm happy with that. Hey, so it's uh, not the typical beginning to a show, but I am glad that I've managed to get a setup to speak to you guys because after all the negativity in Australia, I'm so so happy now for the sport I love for F1 that we've had such a positive race and such a positive weekend. And I've come to the conclusion, and I'm going to argue with the panel throughout the show at various points here, that there's nothing wrong with modern F1. F1 isn't broken. F1 does not need this huge panic and another knee-jerk reaction for overtaking. What F1 needs is modern tracks. Australia didn't deliver. Bahrain did. China delivers. Barcelona, Monaco, they don't. Look at Turkey. That delivered classic, fantastic races. So... I'm starting to just feel a little bit defensive of my favorite sport, and I just want to bring it into the modern era. So can I ask, are you the very same person who wanted to get to the actual race within 10 minutes of the start of the show? Yes, boss. You, you do whatever you want, Trumpets. I'm going to mute now. <laughs> well, I tell you what, how about we tell the audience at home, we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We may be wrong, but we're first. 
And this show is safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. But I tell you what, for the kind of race we just saw, I think we need some extra voices. So what say we bring on the rest of the panel? Anil, Formula E, Parmar, welcome back. How's it going? It's going very well. And um, I'm still getting over how exciting that race was. Two for two for Ferrari. I'm delighted. It was brilliant. And of course, the inestimable Alex Goldschmidt. Goldie, welcome back to the show with your new internet, your new job, and all of the excellent things. Thanks, Trump. It's good to be back on the show here on uh, Missed Apex. Yeah, great to have you. And of course, hi to the live stream who are already, I'm hoping somebody's paying attention to it. Looks like they've already had about 9,000 comments, judging by what I see out the corner of my eye. And if you're looking for us, you can just go to MissedApexPodcast.com and find live stream or go directly to YouTube and use the Googles as your friends. Folks, what say we get to the good stuff? Um, so for me, it was a it was a pretty interesting story coming into the weekend because you had the questions of could Mercedes keep its cool in traffic? You had the questions of could McLaren build on their astonishing finish in Australia, to which we all kind of knew the answer was no. And most importantly, the question we were hoping to answer was is Ferrari lucky, good, or both? So let's talk now about the setup for the race. We had two important factors. We had Hamilton's gearbox penalty, which I don't know. Was that a surprise to anybody else? I was surprised. Um, Mercedes is normally pretty bulletproof. And um, I heard that in the evening um, after it was announced. And I was pretty surprised by it. What's interesting was them saying that they were actually lucky to finish in Australia. So that was an issue that was going on in the background that we weren't even aware of. Hey, Anil, do you think that might explain why Hamilton just suddenly dialed it down to about zero with about 10 laps left to go? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to suggest. But if my memory's correct, I think Hamilton's had a gearbox penalty every season in, under the hybrids. It just seems to be there just seems to be one. And it's weird that it happened right at the very beginning. Yeah, well, maybe better at the beginning and the end. And, and what a nice tradition for Mercedes to have, right, Spanners? Yes. Um, but however, we had a query that summers ended up answering for us now we were discussing why is it that you can have three engines and change them at any time at all but with a gearbox if you change it uh before it's completed six races you get penalty but by the time summers actually answered that in our whatsapp group i had completely switched off and he actually he answered by basically saying it was a hangover from previous regulations and it was just that rule has just stayed on hasn't it just to kind of keep things simple but that's something that maybe would be good to look at because um, it potentially robbed us of a Hamilton Vettel fight right at the front. It did indeed. And it, it is an interesting thing because you can even fix, I know, according to the regulations, you can fix the actual gears. The dog rings and the gears are replaceable under the current regulations, but the rest of the gearbox is absolutely off limits. So uh, anybody else forgetting to actual qualifying at this point? Well, with that thunderous roar of approval, uh, let's move on and talk about the events of qualifying to set the stage for the race. Pierre Gasly. Oh, my goodness. Toro Rosso. Oh, my goodness. Honda. I don't know about anybody else, but for me, that was the thing of qualifying. Barely anything else even happened. Well, I'm a little bit reluctant to break the image that Bradley Philpott 
you know, is this expert racer that we bring on here to tell you how to drive a motor vehicle. But for the last six months, he has done nothing but tell us how amazing McLaren are going to do. But here they are, Bradley, with Toro Rosso absolutely showing them the way. So I think what the story here is, isn't how badly McLaren have done versus some of the expectations that some people might have had. Um, it's more a, it's more a story about how brilliantly Pierre Gasly's done. Um, I was having a small discussion before the podcast with Goldschmidt about this, that there are some drivers that you see in the junior formula who completely dominate. And you think that guy, when he gets to Formula One, is going to be on par with anyone. Someone like Van Dorn. And you see other drivers who maybe do win the junior championships or some of them, but they scrape to it and they don't dominate. Someone like Gasly. But then when they get to Formula One, they just take to it better. And he's taken very few races to find his feet and be completely comfortable. The guy looks super confident and wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm in awe of the job he did this weekend. Because we keep saying, yeah, he's not a rookie. This is his second season. But how many actual races has he done? Something like seven? This is his eighth. Yeah, well, that's just incredible then. I mean, that really puts today in context. I mean, he is basically a flat-out rookie still. Yeah, and we even thought that was going to be the uh, the major handicap for Toro Rosso was not even the Honda engine, which many think of as being a handicap, although maybe not so many after today, but just the sheer lack of experience of, of their two drivers. I mean, they ditched Sainz and they ditched Kvyat, who, if nothing else, could at least occasionally bring the points home. Uh, for two brand new drivers, but it looks like it's starting to pay off, at least for Gasly. Well, they kind of didn't ditch science, um, but I, I take your point. Um, and after after Melbourne, where Honda had a problem and you know they didn't show stunning pace in the back of that Toro Rosso, I was fully expecting there to be the kind of ongoing Honda disaster show and poor Toro Rosso with you know good expectations of being a, a works team for the year. We're going to have problems, but this weekend is, well, for the moment anyway, put those fears to rest for me. The car got to the end of the race. It didn't miss a beat and it was fast. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if this is a one-off because they weren't particularly strong in Australia, but Bahrain, long straights, China were going to, long straights, Azerbaijan, it's got that gigantic straight. So I just wonder if they've just come up with like a very slippy car because they weren't particularly good in Australia. Well, I hate to argue with Neil. I'm lying, the Ferrari-obsessed kit. I love arguing with him, but they were quite strong in Australia until the race. I mean, they were good throughout all the practice sessions. Okay, maybe you watch more practice than me then, because um, I, I think the unfortunate timing of those sessions at, what, two in the morning, Spanners? You know, I need my lion. Yeah, I, I've got kids. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it's all over when you have kids. But their performance aside, that wasn't actually the only thing that happened. And I think probably the most amazing thing that happened was uh, Verstappen was, well, Verstappened apparently by his own car. It might seem just like he made up an excuse that he had this power surge of uh, 150 horsepower. Um, but I think I kind of believe him. I don't think the team would, um, you know, just allow him to save face by, by making something up. If he says he's gone away and looked at the data and, and seen this issue that caused him to, to suddenly spin the wheels on the exit of that second corner, I, I think that probably is the case. I don't know what you guys think to cast a shadow of doubt over that he was looking really really aggressive in that session anyway and they said through practice i heard people saying that they could see his back end coming out on that corner so there is a slight suspicion that he might have been the master of his own destiny in some way whether there was an additional surge on top of that obviously we're speculating the reason i would um 
stand firm in in believing him is that it was a really you know he didn't just have a small moment he over rotated massively you know he he had a, a basically a half spin it's quite a big mistake for someone who I would consider to be that good to make yeah well it, it, he wasn't the first driver to go off there during the weekend I recall someone going off in practice and having a trip through the gravel potentially a Sauber um but for me it was just another reminder of the driver's right foot not being what dictates how much horsepower there is, unlike if you go go-karting or just drive a road car. Software plays a huge role in it, which was just a bit of an un- untimely reminder. I don't like that about the current power units, but on the bright side, at least, it, well, we hoped it was going to give us a more of an exciting race because if you put someone like Max towards the back, hopefully we get some overtaking, but we'll come to that later on, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of exciting, particularly given what was about to happen in the race the next day. But it was good news for Ferrari with Vettel getting the pole, but not every Kimi fan was happy. Were they, Anil? No, um, I saw many a conspiracy theory about this, um, quite dramatic ones as well. I did see, so Kimi came out and he had to overtake cars on his outlap, which the drivers were having to be very gentle on the tyres for because of overheating. And then he had traffic on his actual fast lap and he was very... As vocal as Kimi can be, I think is the way to say it, when he was interviewed by, uh, I think it was joint, a very excited Johnny Herbert on the grid. Um, I thought he was going to take pole had he had a clean lap. But in the end, Vettel was the one that got the perfect lap in. Uh, Kimi just seemed, I'm not stoking the fire here, but he was clearly unhappy that he was the driver that didn't get given the proper kind of outlap preparation and had to overtake cars on his fast lap. Yeah, and maybe rightfully so, because he had kind of looked faster all week, right, Brad? Yeah, um, I, I'd agree with Anil. I don't think it was a conspiracy, but I do think that he um, he wasn't very happy about his poor preparation lap, put it that way. All right, then. On to the race. Who wants to start us off? Oh, wait, that's my job. Wait, 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 Matt. What? If I'm your co-host, isn't it up to me to tell you how the race was won and lost? Please say no. Please say no. Uh, can you actually see the notes there, Spanners? No. And I was barely paying attention. No. Why don't you do it? You, you seem to do a good job every single race review. Uh, well, thank you very much for that kind comment. Um, so really, once we factor in the two penalties, or not the penalties, but we factor in Verstappen P15 and Hamilton P9, it looks like a race of redemption. How far up the grid can Hamilton get? How much can he limit the damage? And the start was utterly critical for him. And I know if you were just looking at places, you think he had a terrible start, but that was not the case at all. He kind of rocketed up several places going into turn one, and that completely saved his bacon. Yeah, and actually, yeah, he made a great start off the line, but he was stuck and actually had to break behind Magnussen, who had also started well, but was pushing him to the right-hand side and was really, really fighting for that place. And obviously we saw throughout the race how dogged Magnussen was and is in every single race. I'm starting to love that guy. And Hamilton had to sort of come back and then he had to go right into the middle of the field uh, and then he went sort of quite cautious. And I think absolutely the right thing to do. We've seen Hamilton now have those cautious starts from the middle of the pack. He didn't always used to. Uh, so if you want Hamilton to do well, I think that you're happy that he just takes that time. Yes, he gives up a place or two, but then he's still in the fight. Whereas years ago, he might not have been. When I was, um, I was fully aware that I was going to be 
um, leaned on slightly more heavily than normal. I'm not just talking about driving aspects of this race. So I was really trying to pay attention through the whole race. Probably the worst possible race for me to have um, have had that responsibility because there's so much to take in. But one of the voice notes I made at the start of the race was, oh, dodgy first lap for Hamilton, a bit too cautious. And looking at the positions after the first lap, he didn't really seem to have gone anywhere. And obviously was duped into the hairpin by Alonso, just diving down the inside. So initially I wasn't very impressed with Hamilton. But once it strung out a little bit and the field just spread out that bit more, he seemed to make easy work of most of the cars in front of him before he was up with his proper end of the grid. I definitely have to uh, agree with Brad there. The thing is, as Span has said, that he has been impatient in past years, but this just shows that now he's a four-time world champion. He's got a lot of weight on his shoulders, especially being the team leader at Mercedes. So I think he's just looking, right, we're in the second race, got to get some points on the board, no matter what happens. Yeah, and that's the kind of mature thinking that you really expect from someone who's been in the sport as long as he has and as long as Vettel has. Um, and, and to me, again, if you go back and watch, he made big progress down the front straight and that's what kept him out of all the disaster behind him. Yeah. He, he did get hung up by what was happening ahead of him, but it kept him out of the worst of it and, and gave him a chance to uh, get his tires and everything up to temperature. Cause he was starting on the harder set of tires. The other thing that happened at the beginning that was might have been a big deal, but actually wound up not being a big deal, was the fact that one Pierre Gasly actually managed to pass Ricciardo on the start before Daniel took the spot back. And I thought that was fantastic. I actually didn't notice that, but I thought um, him and, and everyone else in that fight, because it really was a, a fight for almost every position through the field, everyone seemed to manage to get through without too much damage it wasn't too much of an issue um in terms of banging wheels although magnuson um seemed to rekindle his relationship with hulkenberg and and had some small moments um i don't know whether anyone else enjoyed their fights but one thing i'd point out is that Haas is super strong i know bits of grosjean's fell off but you know they were being bashed into and fighting hard and, and always continuing yeah it's that it no doubt it's that ferrari dna coming to the fore and in fact, it was um, it was Verstappen running the action, um, and and his contact with Hamilton was also at the start very very critical, uh, because he picked up a puncture from that. Which we'll get to the uh, whose fault was it later, but I, I'm 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 curious whether or not you think it might have been a tad impetuous there, Brad, of Verstappen, not just to pass Hamilton because he seemed to have the better of him, but to really try and run him directly off the track. Um, I, I know Spanners has got an opinion on this. I don't think it was impetuous of him to pass, um, but I thought it was um, definitely uh, optimistic to expect Hamilton to have disappeared by the time he, he moved across. And this shows that we're looking at two of the greatest racers in F1, assuming that Verstappen has the career we think he's going to have. Because how many times have we seen Lewis Hamilton and people out to drive on the outside. How many times did Rosberg get out of the way of Lewis Hamilton saying, I am just going to occupy that track and do my normal exit, get out of my way, or we will crash? And Senna was applauded for doing that. Hamilton is seen as a bully boy for doing it. Um, Verstappen clearly willing to do the same thing. Now, what I've always wanted when Hamilton has done those moves is I've always wanted to say Rosberg to go, well, just hold your ground. Don't jump out of the way. Hold your ground. Punish him for that. 
And that is what Lewis Hamilton did. He was like, no, I'm not backing off. You have to leave me a car's width. If you want to put me in that situation, that's on you. So what we've seen is that, you know, the immovable object uh, and the unstoppable object today clashing. And the result is flat tire. I've wanted them to meet on track like that for so long. Um, I definitely think Max probably should have ex- should have given a bit more space. It definitely erred more towards his side. I remember this exact race in 2014 where Rosberg and Lewis fought. And there was just one moment where Rosberg had to kind of correct the car last minute to avoid puncturing Hamilton. And he came on the radio and said, you know, that's not on. And as Banner said, this is just these two meeting on track and they're not going to yield for each other. And I hope we see it more often throughout the year. Um, because, you know, Verstappen knows if he can get one up on Lewis, it's going to make him it's going to make him look very good, especially given that we all speak about him as being a future world champion, one of the best ever. So very much looking forward to that, although it was a shame that um, it ended up... I don't know what actually caused Max's retirement, I don't, but I'm guessing it was contributed to the puncture. It's a shame because it ruined what would have been a very good race for him right up there with Lewis. Without wanting to um, resume my normal role of commenting purely on driving, um, the silly thing about that situation was part of being a top line race driver is also understanding who you're fighting against. You don't just have one blanket rule for, you know, in this racing situation, I'm going to put the car here. You also have to take into account who you're fighting. And Verstappen should have realized Hamilton isn't someone that you can bully. He's going to keep his nose in there a bit, you know, as much as he has a right to. Hamilton did start to back out, but Verstappen could have maintained that position without running him all the way to the edge. You saw later on in the race with uh, Magnussen when he tried to go up the inside of Grosjean into turn two, he was forced to back out and then obviously wasn't happy about it. And um, uh, Grosjean was on the line that Verstappen would have been on had he given him a little bit of room. Um, So Hamilton would have had to back out for turn two anyway. So it was kind of, I can't really put the blame anywhere other than at Max for, for his own problem. I should say it bodes well that Verstappen was able to keep up with Lewis throughout the lap, despite the fact that Lewis was getting a toe from Alonso down the straight. Because in the past, we've seen Red, the Red Bull unable to kind of cling on to a Mercedes. So I was quite surprised when I thought when I saw them coming out the last corner. I think, oh, Verstappen's way, way closer than I thought he would be. I don't know if that came to maybe Lewis not having the temperatures right up there, or potentially that the Red Bull chassis, in race trim at least, is a bit of a match for the faster cars out there as well, like Mercedes and Ferrari. Okay. The next thing that happened, and this was also critical and, and might very well have helped um, Verstappen tremendously, was that that a virtual safety car was actually called for Ricciardo. And, and this was important not only because it might have been a time saver for him, but also because it kept the gaps from getting farther apart for several laps in a row. Um, it did. But he could have really done with a full safety car, couldn't he? Ultimately, it came to nothing because Stappen was parked up at the side of the track a couple of laps later. And, and like Anil, I've got no idea what the actual cause was. It didn't really look like he had suspension damage. Um, and the car came off pretty unscathed, um, considering how much damage a puncture would normally do to the car, um, having to drive a whole lap. Um, but yeah, the field wasn't bunched up, obviously, with it being a, a virtual safety car. But in all a weekend to forget for Red Bull. And we've been talking quite a lot about how it, there's at least, um, you know, one extra team that's going to be in the the fight for the wins. But Red Bull haven't haven't given us anything yet, have they? You know, it was, Ricardo was quite strong at the end of Melbourne, but the cars weren't up at the front and they were helped by the the safety car there. And at Bahrain, they, they basically, apart from showing some good pace, 
they've not actually come through with the goods. We need Red Bull to start getting in the mix as well to give us another element. Not that we needed it in this particular race. Imagine when they do, when they do start turning up and when they do start getting in the mix, we've already got such a fascinating battle up front. If you just add another two cars into that, we could actually, from all the negativity we've had all week, we could end up with one of the classic F1 seasons. And I, there's so much to be optimistic about. Yeah, my favourite F1 season was 2010, where you had uh, McLaren, Ferrari and Red Bull all going at it. And even if uh, this year, even if the third fastest team is one of those and there are a few temps off, it doesn't matter because they'll influence strategy by having a place on the racetrack and being hard to overtake. And that's what that's why, hopefully, again, next week in China, we're going to have another thriller. If you were Verstappen or Ricardo, you'd have come into the season knowing you've got a Renault engine, but really also knowing you've got a very strong car probably underneath you with loads of optimism and thinking, I've got an outside shot at the championship here if we can develop well and we can finish well. But they've just thrown away so many points already. I thought of poor Ricardo when he, his car just switched off. You know, what a rubbish problem to have. It just literally turned off going into the hairpin. He must be thinking, well, you know, we're two races in, but that's it, really. I've got no shot at the championship now already. But you've also got to say, you know, Verstappen, who is clearly an amazing driver, he threw away points in Australia while we had that spin and clearly was a bit frustrated driving erratically. Today he has that incident with Lewis. He's not necessarily going to come under pressure because we know how good he is and they love him there. They don't want him to leave. He's got a contract. But... I know he's young. He can't just start getting involved in incidents. There's no excuse for that. You know, I remember Lewis, when he first came into F1, had a few of those and he was stand for it. And I hope the same thing will happen to Max because it's clumsy. Yeah, I mean, coming back to the electrical issue with uh, Ricardo, I mean, whether the two items, obviously with Verstappen's uh, horsepower overload in qualifying, uh, whether in some ways there's probably a system glitch either through the wiring harness or, as Anil alluded to earlier, the software maybe. So that's quite a dramatic uh, double retirement for both Red Bull guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bradley's point about Max impetuousness getting in there, I think was uh, spot on. So Matt, obviously we sort of uh, have gone away a bit from the strategy. And I mean, wow, this is the first time in ages where we've seen the strategy start to play the same kind of role it did in like 2014, 2015. It's gone away for the last couple of years. But this time, there was genuine intrigue and there was an option to do something different. It wasn't just a bolted on one stop. And, you know, we actually had like a team come out and fake a pit stop, force Ferrari to come in. And it was genuine strategy that kept me on the seat of my pants. And I'm, I'm just so happy to see the return of that. Uh, and I'd, first, you know, what was that down to? Is, are the tyres fundamentally different this year that's allowed that? So do Pirelli deserve like, a bit of a, a bit of credit doing this. Well, it's definitely the tires played a huge role. In fact, I think probably if we got Brad going, he would tell you that the tires were everything in this race. And what was critical, what was absolutely critical to that was Hamilton and his remarkable three wide pass on the restart from the safety car because he kept his tires up to temperature and was able to take advantage uh, of all three of those drivers put himself in P6, and he was only, I think, about 10 seconds down the road. And at this point, the options for Mercedes opened up because you had Hamilton on softs that could definitely run a one-stop. You had Botas at the front that could now freely two-stop and attack Vettel 
and go for the undercut. And now Ferrari was suddenly in a strategy bind because with Hamilton having cleared the traffic and the virtual safety car setting him up for that, now they were going to be forced to, to play defense to try and keep Mercedes from getting ahead because if Ferrari had two stopped, the second stop would have put them behind Lewis. Yeah, this was one of the few examples I can think of where the three-tire compound rule actually worked incredibly well. Uh, and I think it also, I think Pirelli deserved credit as well because I saw preseason that they'd come up with a new software that allowed them to like, kind of predict strategies a bit better and vary up. But it did seem that the qualifying tire wasn't a great race tire. So we need to see more of that throughout the season. So something that something that surprised me, I don't know whether it surprised everyone else, was that we had the medium tire being used. Now, I thought this was supposed to just be a tire that was left in the garage and, and wasn't really um, bolted on the cars during the races. But Mercedes put it on and it seemed to be working really well. And what that meant for us is we that then caused strategy, which meant we didn't actually know what was going to happen until at the end. We had, we had this awesome um, kind of perfect storm of lots of battles occurring throughout the field, but this slow burner going on at the front of the field where we were just left waiting to, to find out what are they going to do? It, it was very much a case of cat and mouse. I mean, I didn't know what the heck was going on the best of times. Um, but yeah, it just to see people go on two stop, one stop strategies, it was just like waiting to see what was going to happen. And as soon as though, Matt, as soon as Vettel decided to do a one stop, because the two stop, I thought that was the way he was going to go. He was going to come out maybe behind Hamilton, but he would be on a softer tire that would definitely get him to the end. I thought that's the way he'd go. When it, they came out and they said, oh, no, uh, plan is dead or whatever it is that they finally got into. I think it was plan D and said, right, we're going to go to the end of the race. You looked at the lap count and you went, well, obviously not. He's he's, he's boned there. There's there's no way he's going to make it to the end. And he did make a big drama at the end. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like my tires were like totally like shot. And I don't think I, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I did. I, I don't quite buy that. Clearly, he's done an amazing job. Clearly, Ferrari have done an amazing job, but I don't buy the bit about that he's somehow done a miracle to make tyres that weren't meant to last last till the end of the race. What I think is that somehow those tyres, either the combination of those tyres on Ferrari or those tyres not being as soft and cliffy as we think they are, meant that that was a viable strategy. It's just that we didn't know it. Ferrari knew it. We didn't know. I don't think anybody knew it. The the longest recommended stint on those tires was 30 laps. And 30 laps, he hit 30 laps right at lap 50. And you'll notice that's right when uh, Botas picked up the pace. And they were expecting those tires to really go. Now, we could. I'm going to chuck it to Brad in a second and get his opinion. But for me, you could see Ferrari starting to visibly lose traction those last seven laps. And yeah, maybe up to that point, it was not such a big deal. But decidedly, I think from that point on, he was driving on ice. I was extremely surprised to see Vettel make it to the end still in first position on those tyres. I agree with Spanners. When you saw the lap count, you just thought that, well, there's no way. that This is, this is now going to be a race at the end when the Ferraris have got fresh tyres on. But a thought just popped into my head and it may have been covered by... Um, people uh, who are more uh, intelligent than me in the post-race that I didn't actually see. But if Mercedes had kept Bottas on a two-stop, if they if they hadn't been so confident that Ferrari would definitely have to stop again, 
Do you think that they could have won? Do you think that would have then put Hamilton in the zone where, because Bottas had two stopped, Vettel would then have had to cover him and Hamilton would have actually got track position at the end? I don't actually know the answer to the question, but that that would have been the move. That would have been the move, I think, to to two-stop Botas and let him come with fresh tires and try and chase down Hamilton and Vettel. And then it then they would have had to, to have a choice. And you were very astute to pinpoint that as a turning point in the race. Once Mercedes chucked both of their cars onto a one-stop strategy, they lost the advantage they gained uh, with Raikkonen's disastrous pit stop. Yeah, because it looked to me like the reason they it was such a no-brainer for them. It was so obvious to them that Vettel's going to have to stop again. That and we're good on the mediums, so we can be fast even on a, on this harder compound. It just really looked to me like they were sure, as I was sure, that Mercedes um, that they would then be able to just you know jump Vettel in the stops and they'd have good enough pace and track position to to maintain the position. Yeah, I thought that's the reason why Ferrari actually brought Kimi in for that pit stop on the on the super super softs because it would have forced mercedes to think about bringing in bottas to cover a possible undercut because i think kimmy was about two and a half three seconds behind at that point um so it would have just and then they could have just let Seth run but got him to really control the pace i have to admit i thought the race was completely over when i saw bottas's pace on the mediums and it does seem to suit the narrative of on the harder tires when bottas uh, was on the medium seb was on the soft and bottas was closing in on him by about half a second lap and at that point, I, was, I did think, oh, Ferrari, have, they've just shot themselves in the foot. I, I, I did not expect that. And especially when Kimi had had his issue, it did look as though it, the bot race for me was going to be Valtteri's. Um, I kind of agree with Spanners in that I don't think Seb's kind of performed a miracle. And I think, I think it was more just the suspense that no one knew. And actually, this goes back to the fact that practice in Bahrain, because it's so hot in practice one and practice three, the data that the teams get isn't as um, important. So they... I don't know it as well. So um, it really added to the spectacle, I thought. Yeah, and it, and it really was a spectacle. I think the takeaway is that that strategy group that they had before this race it needs to just calm down, watch this race, understand what worked, where they were, Matt, and just go, okay, let's, let's not panic. Let's not get angry with each other. There are some really, really good things we've got here if we're careful. Yeah, well, that's very much the uh, baby in the bathwater argument, and it's not a bad one. But it's also clear if they're going to stick to some of their traditional street circuit tracks that you're going to continue to have some of the same issues that we saw in Australia, where I think there were maybe five overtakes at best. But to me, the lingering question of the race, uh, of which there are two, one is, did Mercedes just wait a little too long to ask Botas? to have a go at Vettel, given given Vettel himself said his tires went off 10 laps from the end, not seven laps from the end. And Mercedes certainly seemed to think that, didn't they? When you listen to some of their post-race reaction, um, I did see a, a short interview with Toto Wolff, and it seemed to me that they could have asked them to push a little earlier. Uh, for me, unfortunately, I just think it comes down to the wrong Mercedes driver was in the position to take advantage Bottas is clearly a good driver. It's not happening for him at the moment. And uh, it goes down in my books as a fail for Valtteri Bottas. Now, we will put this to Bradley and ask him to put his driver hat on. In my uneducated viewpoint, he either, A, with his final attempt where he, he dived down the inside, he either bottled that 
or he should not have made it and waited to fight on the next straight. I'd really be curious, Brad, which one you think is true. Okay, so with the caveat that I haven't seen any other angles other than the initial one we all saw on TV, and I'm sure it was analysed on the Skypad and that kind of thing after the race. Um, from from what I've seen, it looked to me like he should have just released the brakes at the end and gone for a lunge. You know, scare Vettel into make Vettel make the decision. Um, you know, turn in and you're going to have a crash um, or open the steering and at least be side by side going through turn one. That first corner, if, if you watch any of the Formula 2 races, there are constant late moves. Um, at the end of the feature race in Formula 2 this weekend, um, Artem Markolov passed um, Sergio, Seto, uh, Sergio Sete Kamara into turn uh, into that first corner. And then Kamara re-passed him before the corner in the braking zone. It can be done. And because the corners, the track's so wide there and it's such a slow apex, you can get away with these super lunges. And it did look to me like Bottas bottled it a bit. He should have just gone for it. Or, as you suggested, if he didn't think he was close enough and he didn't, he wasn't comfortable making that do or die lunge, he should have just waited and then tried to go maybe around the outside uh, of the next uh, of turn three. It, it, he made the wrong decision. And I have to agree with you, not just the wrong Mercedes driver. There are plenty of other drivers on the grid who would have made that move stick. Ricardo came from so far back at Melbourne in, in, for some of his overtakes. And obviously it can be done at other tracks. Other drivers would have gone for it. And it bugs me that Bottas went for the, the easy option and didn't, didn't try and make it stick. Maybe he just didn't want to risk a DNF after you know, not having a great first race, but it's those kind yeah. of moments that define a driver. And Verstappen would have gone for it. I'm pretty sure Hamilton would have gone for it. Um, he should have. And do you mean the same, the very same Ricciardo that has yet to sign a contract with Red Bull? That one? Yeah, that one. And I think, well, Bottas hasn't hasn't staked his claim for that drive well enough yet. I'm astonished Bottas didn't win that race. And not just because of bumping at turn one on the final lap, but he should have just set Seb up for turn four. And we see it so often. The circuit is perfectly designed for overtaking going into turn four. And you could kind of tell from his reaction afterwards, I think he thought he should have won it. He had that terrible qualifying session in Australia. He's under pressure. He actually, apart from that, he had a really good weekend. Um, but I should also say, I see some people kind of criticizing Hamilton at times saying, oh, he's complaining on the radio. I wonder how much Valtteri during the race was saying to his team, like, how much do I need to push? Because there was a, this massive phase of about 15 laps where he just wasn't clo anywhere close to matching Seb's pace or he wasn't closing in on him. And then he only seemed to come alive at the end. And if I was Valtteri, I would have been thinking, I want to win this race. Just tell me what I need to do and tell me the lap times because he should have closed in on Vettel before the final couple of laps. In Valtteri's defence, in to just kind of switch around to, to defending him, he was on those mediums for quite a long time, wasn't he? And uh, Vettel's tyres were gone by the end. I know Bottas is on a harder compound, but he'd been on them for quite a number of laps. And he also, you know, you could see him locking up quite frequently. He was struggling to not run out of tyre as well. Um, so in his defence, he he probably managed them almost as well as he could. I don't think he had a lot. If he had pushed early, you never really know. Maybe he would have fallen away at the end. Um Maybe he was just doing exactly what Mercedes told him to. And maybe he isn't on the... We never really hear him on the radio. We hear Hamilton a lot. Um, and that could be a sign that Hamilton's obviously just really proactive 
and really just trying to get every bit of information for every advantage he can. Um, and maybe Bottas is just a bit more willing to sit back and do what the team told him to do. Yeah, but you're stating facts now. And if America has taught us anything, it's that more important than facts is optics. It's how it looked. And this makes me fear that Valtteri Bottas's career is in real, real trouble now. I always thought it would be optimistic for him to hang on to the Mercedes seat for next season. But when you have a big do-or-die moment there, the real kind of clip pressure, he hasn't managed to do it for whatever reason. He, he, he didn't make up the gap until quite late for whatever reason. But it looks like he didn't make the pace up quickly enough. And then when he had the chance, he didn't take it. Now, when you've got a comparison of Lewis Hamilton, where well, you've got to think, well, if Lewis Hamilton had started fourth instead of ninth, I mean, where on earth would he be? Unfortunately for Valtteri Bottas, he has nowhere to hide because whenever he puts in lap times or has race pace, he has got Lewis Hamilton as a direct comparison. And the optics look really, really bad for his career going forward. And you know what else it says to me? If I'm fighting Bottas, it's unlikely to happen. Um, if I was one of the drivers <laughs> fighting Bottas, um, I would now have one extra little bit of information in my mental armory, which is that he's yes. not going to do it. I, I don't need to defend this corner because with this gap, the gap he's got behind me, he's not going to make this move or he's going to do a half-hearted attempt. So even if I see him maybe coming in the mirrors, I'm not even going to move across. And that's something that all of his competitors will have against him. Uh, not you know, So it's not just the public perception that he uh, that he's damaged by. It's, it's his competitors he has to fight against every other week as well. Yeah, we should point out this was a race where both Red Bulls Failed to finish. Raikkonen retired. Hamilton had a gearbox penalty. Uh, Seb was on a compromise. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. After doing Valtteri finished P2, uh, there was a quote before the race from Toto Wolff, I saw on um, on Sky. And I think Johnny Herbert said, oh, Valtteri looks quick this weekend. And he just said, yeah, when, when the tarmac is like this and it's very smooth, he seems, to be, he seems to be able to be as quick as Lewis. And I thought that was a very interesting quote because it was basically like, 
you know, there are certain races this year or of the year where Valtteri seems to not even be better than Lewis. He literally just said, oh, you can match him there. And hypothetically, in a hypothetical situation, if, if Hamilton was to say I'm retiring at the end of the year, would Mercedes-Benz want Valtteri to be that number one driver? Because it's just another example where he just hasn't been able to show. Yeah, I'd have to say that's 100%. That's got to be a no. 100% no. No top team is going to be looking at him as a number one driver. And that's, that's not a nice thing to say at all. And it must be really, really hard for him as somebody who's come through being considered very, very good and somebody who was very, very good against Massa, who nearly won a world championship, and then to suddenly be spoken about in these terms must be incredibly uh, frustrating. I do find myself cheering him on and hoping he's going to do well. Um, Matt, uh, I'm running out of the goodwill of my family that's letting me podcast while I'm in a motorhome in Cornwall. Uh, Are we going to get to whose fault is this? Because I would like to establish some blame before I go back to my family and everything being my fault. Yeah, of course we can get to whose fault is it anyway. Let's go there right now. Oh, dear. That soundboard is a disaster. Whose fault is this? I don't have a whose fault is this anyway soundboard to hit. That's the best I can do. But let's get to it. Whose fault is it anyway? Let's start with... The very, very beginning, Verstappen and Hamilton. Whose fault was it? Spanners, you tell us. Uh, It's just Verstappen. He's in a completely different place in his career. He was in a different place in his race to Lewis Hamilton. I actually think that Lewis could have been a little bit more conservative. Keeping your nose in to a guy who's racing from 14th with nothing to lose, you've got to put a little bit of blame on Lewis Hamilton there. I think Lewis should have avoided the contact. So which is it? You just said Verstappen and Hamilton. Well, no, like, on, okay, tell you what, like, overall, it's Verstappen. He's, he was too aggressive there, and he's not accounted for a car on his left-hand side. But as a Hamilton fan, I blame Lewis Hamilton for not just backing out of it, because that could have been a lot worse. Okay, um, in my opinion, um, I'm going to lay all the blame with Verstappen. He'd won the corner. Didn't need to push it as hard as he did. Having said that, it was marginal. So it almost wasn't even an issue. I don't think Hamilton's got um, any blame in that at all. Yeah, I completely agree with what's been said. Max should have been a bit more cautious. Um, There's no need for him to do that, especially he'd made such good progress. He should have just got on with it. He had Alonso up ahead. He would have cleared him pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely for Stappen. You know, as Brad says, he should have actually given him a bit more room. Um, And we know that Verstappen will go for the overtake if if there is a, a smaller gap going down. So yeah, definitely Max's fault. Well, I'm going to be a bit controversial here then and, and say that although, yeah, on balance, I think it was mostly a situation of Max's making. If we're talking about Hamilton and mature thinking, not leaving his nose, hang- unless he had no choice at all, not leaving his nose hanging out there would have been the, um, would have been the better choice in that corner. Uh, I don't think he did leave his nose out there, though. I think it was. I think he had um, a, a very. Um, he had an expectation that Verstappen would leave him a little bit of room. You know, he wasn't expecting the whole track, but I thought Hamilton had the right to, you know, to be left a bit of room. And when he saw that wasn't happening, he did try and back out, which is why his his front leading edge of the front wing just touched Verstappen's rear tyre. If Hamilton had actually left his nose in, it would have been much more of a um, a Hartley-Perez kind of spin around from the start of the race where the, the car in front gets kind of bumped around and spun. 
So I, don't, I think Hamilton did attempt to back out. You know, I think he, he did it just right. I'm just wondering, though, if he is not just a little bit impressed with Max Verstappen. And therefore, he's had kind of, you know, Alonso's going by. OK, I can let that go. Magnussen's uh, pushing to the right. OK, I can let that go. I can let all these battles go. Hulkenberg, I just think about the end game. Verstappen, whoa, no, 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 son. Who do you think you are? You're not having this place. I think there might be a bit of psychology going on there. there something to track for the rest of the season. I totally agree yeah. with you, except he didn't really do that in this situation. He'd have been further alongside. If that was his mentality in this situation they would have still been a bit side by side. But I, I completely agree with you. I think he does see something special in Verstappen. Go ahead. So I was going to say, I can't wait to see them go head to head again because Max rolled up, he's rolled up Kimi already. He's done the same to Seb. He hasn't raced and he did the same to Rosberg actually, but he's never really raced Lewis much. So I hope there's more to come because Max has, I'm sure he respects him, but he doesn't, he doesn't care who, who he is. He wants to just beat Lewis. He wants to beat everyone. And he wants everyone to treat him on. He wants to treat everyone on track uh, in the same way, and he's not going to budge. A bit like Schumacher when he first arrived, and how he was with Senna. I don't know if you guys caught it, but Lewis said something quite, um, quite naughty about uh, Max in the cool down room, which was one of the funniest things I've ever heard a driver say. Um, I was walking out the front door, and something something was said, and I didn't really. I heard them apologise. Tell me what was said. Uh, but but substitute. Well, well it can't be said. Words. For, with a, a really nice word like snowball. Okay, so he's, a replay was being shown and he just went, what a snowball. And as he said it, Vettel just turned around. Vettel just turned around and looked at the camera. It was perfectly scripted. Um, and people get, drivers get criticised for not showing enough personality. That is exactly what I want to see from Formula One drivers. So, you know, I, I hope they touch balls in China. Well, let's hope so. You mentioned... Uh... You mentioned Magnussen and Hulkenberg there, Spanners. Who was at fault there? I actually didn't see that one. So did you manage to, did you catch a glimpse of it at the beginning? Or is this one of these we should just leave out? I think we should just leave this one out. And I am also going to have to duck out as well, uh, because obviously I'm, I'm far away. And I answer to a higher power. Uh, I just wanted to say a big thank you to you, Matt. When I realized I couldn't do the show, I was panicking. And you have gone to massive strides to, for the first time, run a Missed Apex proper live stream with five people on here. Uh, just appreciate your effort. And uh, it's nice to know that uh, my, my goose, because I'm totally like maverick in this equation, that my goose has got my back for this. Um, I hope you have a great show, guys. And I just want to leave you by saying that, you know, even though the result is like a dagger in my black heart. F1 was a real winner today. And I cannot tell you just how buzzed and excited me and my boy were watching this race on my phone. We were gripped from start to finish. When people do down Formula One, you just need to shove this race in their face and say, this is the greatest sport on earth. Good night. See you, Spanners. Thanks Bye, for Spanners. checking in. Okay, so now Spanners is gone. Um, we can take full control, Matt. So yes. uh, here's the <laughs> opportunity to do... The there is rebellion in the ranks. The extended, whose fault is it? Okay, but a quick fire version. So um, I know we just said we won't do, it. we wouldn't do it. Uh, no, go right Magnuson, ahead. Magnuson, Hulkenberg, right at the start, turn two. Whose fault is it? Really quick. I don't even need to give a reason. Mag. Yep. No. Goldschmidt. Mag. And trumpets. Uh, I didn't see it, but I'm automatically going to be on Magnuson's side because he drives for Haas. Okay. So I, I didn't really see exactly what happened. No detailed on boards, but so I'm, I'm not quite sure, but probably Hulkenberg. Okay, um, next corner, 
Um, we had the Force India being nerfed around by Hartley. Um, whose fault was that? I think it was Perez's because he actually turned in. He might have been ahead at the corner, but Brendan did actually have the inside line. But Sergio just thought, you know what, I'm going to have a bit of the outside action. And yeah, I think he just turned in a bit too far. He could have just actually kept it side by side through that corner. So I think it's Sergio's. Anyhow? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Who got the penalty? Hartley. Ten he got a ten, yeah, he got a 10 second penalty okay. as a result. Okay, so technically, I, I would say. Hartley's caused the collision, but Perez should have, given how wide the apex of that corner is and, and all the runoff on the exit, I don't know why Perez took such a tight line on like the, that early in the race. It was a bit nonsensical to me. I think he might not have expected Hartley to be there. After all, he was a Toro Rosso with a Honda engine in it. And I, I didn't really see anything other than the initial um, replay. It kind of looked to me like it was Hartley's fault, so I think I'll side with the officials on that one. Um, I've got another one for you. How about Magnussen and Gasly? Uh, was it at the restart when um, when Gasly was a little bit kept, uh, caught napping at the end of the back straight? Um, yeah, it oh, yeah, was. that was very tasty. I, I, and that's where Magnussen went off onto the onto the runoff, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think Gasly did exactly what he had to do, squeeze him off. And I actually think that was a really good example of another good example of Gasly being kind of super mature looking like a formula one driver who's been around for a few years yeah he wasn't phased by that at all it it was when you when you consider the fact that he raced with the honda unit in super formula last year now he's so he's already got honda experience but in a completely different category and it's quite fast paced in super formula so what pierre did last year as van dorn did because he went into super formula before he came into formula one uh, and I think Gasly's just done a better job of it. So Gasly, I think, you know, has just shown his mettle this uh, this weekend. I have one more whose fault is it before I let the show get back to... No, the see, you have seized control the moment Spanner's left, but this is actually okay. So whose fault okay. was what? Um, and this is an incident we haven't really covered. And, and this is... Well, I don't know whether it's obvious whose fault it is, but um, the Ferrari pit lane incident with Raikkonen injuring one of his crew... Ooh, you know, I, I actually had had a very real thought about this, but my problem is I haven't had time to do any research on the pit lane release systems that Ferrari and the other teams use. Um, can I tell you what I think happened, just yeah. as like a, a factual breakdown? Yeah, you can. Um, and then I have one more whose fault is it for you. Okay. Okay. I think what happened is they obviously have this automated system, as I think most of the teams do, where at some point... Um, when all the wheels are deemed to be reattached to the car, a light goes green. The driver is trained to just respond to the light. And there may or may not be a human override um, that can stop the light going green. And in this instance, you know, I was I was watching the pit stop and I could see clearly, I was about to, about to send a, a message on our WhatsApp group saying, oh, slow pit stop for Raikkonen, because I could see that the left rear hadn't come off yet. But for some reason, the moment all three other wheels were back on the car, the light went green and Raikkonen did what he's trained to do, which is leave. And obviously the left rear tire wasn't attached. It hadn't even, well, it was attached. It hadn't even come off yet. And that was um, the problem. And is it a case then with this Ferrari system that after the car is stationary and some of the wheels have been taken off or after maybe a half a second period, a, a time period that they deem is a normal wheels coming off time from that point onwards, when the system sees all four wheels are back on, it then goes green because that seems like a massive oversight if that is the case. You know, I, I'm no 
design engineer for pit stop equipment, but I'm, I'm sure I would pick that out pretty quickly as a potential safety issue. Yeah, well, and, and you, you would. And I had had the exact same thought that the fundamental failure here was that mechanically all four wheels were attached, but problematically one of them had never come off. So the system clearly doesn't measure wheels coming off or the person on the override switch, which I'm sure they would in fact have an override switch in case uh, something went wrong with the sensors. The person looking at the override switch just saw four wheels attached and hit the button because he knew how important that pit stop was. And and either way, you fundamentally have what I think amounts to a fairly a fairly interesting and clearly very serious, given the nature of the injury to the mechanic, uh, safety problem, and one that, that unlike the halo, the the FIA seems to be perfectly happy to say, well, this is your problem, and we'll just fine you if you make any mistakes. And I'm just curious if anybody else. And Goldie, I'll go to you first. If anybody else is suddenly thinking that, well, you know, maybe the FIA should have a sort of system-wide look at how to make these pit stops safer, because we've seen a number of unsafe releases already in this season. I think it also boils down to the fact that why not have a uniform system that all the teams should employ and there should be research done into this? Because this is not going to be the first accident that this will happen in the pits, pits this year. I can guarantee you that. And also, one of the biggest contingency factors is the fact that the guy on the left rear wheel putting the wheel on, you know, that wheel might, the, the guy that probably has hit the button to say, go, Kimmy, go. And they've gone, oh dear. And the, the mechanic has now got a broken tibula and fibula as a result of that incident. So, first of all, health and safety has to come as a priority. We don't want this happening again in the pits. So why don't the FIA through the strategy group say, okay, let's look at a uniform system where we can make sure that all the teams are using it. So thereby it eliminates costs for the teams. It also um, an increased cost for the teams, but also means that everyone uses the same mandatory system that works with the halo. Right. Um, it's quite interesting that you mentioned the halo because, as you as you both said, the FIA spent a lot of money and time and with the halo got some criticism for it. Let's also remember that in Formula E, there was a minimum pit stop time because they didn't want it to be too dangerous when a driver switched cars. So they, you would often have pit stops and then a driver would just sit and wait for six, seven seconds to meet that time. Um, it's it. I would definitely support some kind of uniform system that all the teams have to use. Um, it's strange that it's kind of gone on this long until something like this has happened. I, I recall a, a quite a dangerous pit stop about five years ago where Mark Webber's tyre came off and it hit um, like a cameraman or someone in the pit lane and they got quite seriously injured. Um, I can't remember whatever, what came about from that. Um, I know they just seem to give more stricter penalties if someone's tyre came off. But at the end of the day, if you're out of the race, you don't really care about getting fined and you don't care about getting a potential drive-through because, you're, again, you've been eliminated. So... It seems like they just need to come up with a, a better solution because, as Alex said, this this will happen again this year. Yeah, well, I think the initial uh, reaction to that was to limit pit lane access pretty severely. And it may be that they made cameramen wear helmets for a while if they were outside, if they were in the actual pit lane filming. I My view is that I want pit stops to still be a performance differentiator. Um, the problem with the minimum pit stop times that Formula E had and has now obviously gotten rid of is that it doesn't really matter how good your stop is because everyone's going to be in the pits at the same time. In fact, the skill with Formula E was judging the total pit stop time to make sure you didn't stay in too long. Um, but 
obviously there was plenty of time to get all the mechanical tasks done. In fact, they don't even have any, did they? They were just strapping a driver in. And in Formula One, I think uh, a minimum pit stop time would would just, well, it, it would mean that pit stops weren't part of the, the, the performance differentiator between the teams. But there must be a balance. There's got to be a way that it does seem like they're trying to push it to the point where there isn't time for humans to check if stuff is actually done up. You know, you obviously saw with the Haas problems at Melbourne and and this, I mean, in any normal situation, there would be like a final check before the driver leaves. Certainly in my own racing, I would wait until the the crew chief who is looking at all the wheels, waiting for all the mechanics to say yes, very clearly, I wouldn't go until that person has double checked. I know it's not as time pressured as Formula One, but there, there's got to be a, a slightly better balance. That's all I think. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I wouldn't support some kind of minimum time because it takes away from the excitement. Like I always get nervous when the driver I want to win comes into the pits because you're just hoping that it goes right and then they leave and it's like, is the tire on? Um, David Coulthard in commentary today for Channel 4 when the Haas made, I think it was um, Magnussen made his first pit stop, you could see he was holding his breath. It was like, is the tire going to stay on? You know, it's, it is part of the excitement, um, but it just needs to be done. There's just got to be a better solution than an electronic light in this case, which is basically said it's all sorted. Um, and of course, it affects the driver because Kimi didn't do anything wrong. He's literally, he just waited for the sign to go and it's told him to go and it's ended his race. So in summary, whose fault is it? Um, we don't actually have the information to know that. So we're going to go with your other nickname, Bradley. It depends. Okay, well, I'm going to say, based on the information that I have, it is Ferrari's pit systems fault. So if if they didn't, if they had a system which took into account this um, situation, no one would have got run over. So, so what was your last, Matt? You said you have one more. Whose fault is it? What what is it? Um, Grosjean and Magnussen. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Um, I have an opinion on this. Let's hear it. Okay, Grosjean was not in the same race as Magnussen today, was he? Magnussen nope. had a better weekend than Grosjean. Um, and the team, for whatever reason, weren't clear enough to Grosjean that he needed to not fight Magnussen. He was in a crucial part of the race where he was, you know, he was chasing down the Force India. He wanted to pass him. And and maybe it wasn't Grosjean's fault. Maybe he wasn't aware, um, or maybe he was aware and he was being belligerent. But for whatever reason, Magnussen was unnecessarily held up by someone who he wasn't actually fighting and you know teammates who are fighting for the same piece of track you know in the same part of the race by all means fight but in that situation Grosjean should have been told firmly to not fight him because it looked from the outside view it looked like Magnussen had that place won and Grosjean just needed a small lift and that wasn't what happened I mean they were pretty much side by side so I don't know why Grosjean fought it definitely his fault um, it just cements my absolute love of Magnuson. Just his radio messages afterwards were absolutely hilarious. There was that um, scene from practice where the camera was on Magnuson and his mechanic. So he just kind of hit him, hit his mechanic where it hurts, if you know what I mean. And it was, it's just great. He's become this, a bit of a like the bad boy of F1. If he was in the best car, I wouldn't put money on him to win the championship. But I love watching him. Yeah, I completely agree with both Anil and Bradley on this um, trumpets. Just was unnecessary for Grosjean to get involved. Didn't need to be there. Just let K-Man go by and for them both to run their own race. Completely unnecessary. Right. Well, you have disappointed me entirely by agreeing. So I didn't have the opportunity to bring my killer piece of evidence to the fore, which is that regardless of what you think they might have originally told Grosjean, like we could give him that very first 
oh, here's Magnuson and, and, and what happened. The fact of the matter is the problem was solved when, uh, when uh, Gunther Steiner called for him to be pitted, which suggests to me that at the end of the day, it was a uh, Rogro not exactly wanting to yield anything to a teammate uh, to whom he thinks he is the leader, which I got I, I, I to gotta go with Anil on this. I just, uh, the more I watch KMAG drive this way, the more entertaining it becomes. And so I, I hope he continues to be, to have the speed advantage over Grosjean for at least the first part of the season, because the, the sparks are thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. And wow, are we running long? Why, yes. Yes, we are running long. Let's jump on to the any other business section. Does anyone have any other business they want to bring up? Anil, you immediately are looking like, yes. As a big fan of a certain Fernando Alonso, I watch his race with quite a lot of interest. And I'm sure that when he goes to bed tonight, he's going to just see like a yellow Renault because he spent the whole race staring at the rear end of Hulkenberg's car. There was a really interesting battle going on between, oh, let me just make sure I get this correct. It was Alonso, Hulkenberg, and then the Haas of Magnussen. So three drivers, three different teams. They all ran completely different tyre strategies. And actually, Alonso was the one who, he pitted first out of the group early on, but put on the mediums. Uh, and I think Toto Wolff said at the end of the race in an interview I saw that actually they saw his pace and realised that actually the mediums were a very good race tyre. Um, and yes, there might be, quite a lot of field spreads between the top three and the, the middle three or four teams. But it was really great to watch because Alonso, Magnuson, and Hulkenberg were within five or six seconds for the entire race. And I hope we see more of that going forward. I agree. Um, that's a great piece of any other business because that that provided a lot of the entertainment, you know, a lot of the filler entertainment during the race that quite often we don't have. Sometimes we're looking at, you know, the battle for the win. And we don't really watch what's going on in the midfield, but it was hard to to not watch today. There were lots of these battles. And what, one of the notes I made during the race was all the way through the field, that whole midfield um, group are so close that cars that are maybe a little bit quicker, like the Haas, maybe well, even today, the Toro Rosso, um, were quick enough that they should have been further up, both of them. They couldn't really make progress. Grosjean didn't really go anywhere through the race. They didn't move up very quickly because everyone's at this same kind of pace. Everyone's separated by, you know, a tenth here or there. Um so, yeah, in, in terms of any other business, there's just so much to talk about, isn't there? There were lots of fights. Um, I know we, we've already mentioned Gasly and what a great job he did. Um, Alonso with his great audacious move on Hamilton near the start and then taking the fight to Renault. People like Van Dorn being maybe a, a little disappointing, not not making the same progress as, as his teammate, although was there or thereabouts. And one other real big one, what does everyone think about Ericsson getting into ninth in that Sauber? Um, I had no idea Ericsson was in the points until basically the penultimate lap where I looked at the standings and I realised he was about to score. Uh, I saw I saw um, an interview with him after the race and he seemed very emotional about it. He says something along the lines of how tough the last few years have been. And for all the criticism he gets, he... I will congratulate him on that. I know we joke about him on this podcast, being in the sea and whatever, but that was by far the best drive he's ever had. Uh, hopefully, for his sake, it's not a one-off and it's a bit more consistent. And he has a very well-regarded teammate too, doesn't he? So it's not like he's it's not like he's got a, a no-hoper next to him. And he seemed to outperform the clerk this weekend. He had, strategically, he had the perfect race. And let's not forget that we have Ruth Buscombe, 
uh, formerly of Haas and reputedly responsible for their bursting onto the scene with points due to her uh, clever pit stop calling in their very first race in Australia, now working regularly for, for Sauber. And that cracked a 50-race uh, streak of no points for Ericsson. So it, it had to be incredibly emotional for him. And with Sauber getting their first points of the season, do we all know who is the only team left without points at this juncture? I have a feeling... It is a certain British team in Grove Williams, who I think I pointed this out on the WhatsApp group, and I don't think Brad Bradis could believe it, but um, they qualified 1.7 seconds slower than their fastest lap in qualifying last year, uh, which was done by Massa. Um, Lance Stroll qualified, like I think, four attempts slower than his qualifying time last year. Let's keep in mind that they've had a year of development and the tyres are softer. Um they really are absolutely nowhere. And I saw another interview of Lance Stroll where he kept saying, oh, I'm, I need to start being so aggressive behind the wheel. And it, I don't see any light for them, especially given that they're not known for producing aerodynamically strong cars. I think this is, I can genuinely see them being right at the back. I think Kubitz is probably quite happy that he's not in that seat. We're told this is uh, a formula that's dominated by engines. And this is a team that has the best engine. And they are hopelessly slow. I, I think it's unforgivable to produce a car that one year on is is any slower than the previous year, not just you know not just even equal, but significantly slower. How is that even possible? They develop through the year, have the whole winter and produce a brand new car, have all the testing and the first race. I mean, I, I guess we can talk about the drivers, but even the same driver was slower than the last year. I think it's I know the car. Someone mentioned the car is tricky to set up and, you know, it's got development potential to unlock, but it's extremely poor to be slower than the previous year. I know we're running long, but I know the final thing Spanners wanted us to talk about <laughs> um, was just whose, you know, whose championship is it after this race? I think as long as Pirelli keep bringing the, a very good qualifying tyre that is not a good race tyre, I think Ferrari have a real shot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Ferrari. And that's my final word of the podcast. Goldie. Ferrari clearly have got a shot this year. Spanners, Merca, not out of the woods, mate. Two wins to Vettel. We're only two, win- We're only two races in. Tw- 19 to go. It could be anybody's. Who knows? Bradley, even McLaren could win, right? Yeah, so I might have been, you know, deliberately over-optimistic about McLaren. And I would still really like to see them come good. I'm I'm interested to watch their development through the season because they seem to be quite good at making the car better as the season goes on, unlike unlike Williams. Um, But uh, in terms of whose championship it is, I still think it's Mercedes. I still think they ultimately have the stronger car. I think right now, if we hadn't had the the problem, if Mercedes hadn't basically thrown it away at Melbourne, we'd be here with a Hamilton win and a Vettel win. And I think as the season goes on, we're going to find that like last year, Mercedes on balance over the season are stronger. I agree with you. These, I think, are two of the weaker races for Mercedes, and they're not that far off. Hamilton limit. I I didn't think anything more than P five because you would have had Raikkonen and Ricciardo, and I don't. I'm not convinced he would have gotten by either of them had they stayed in the race. And with Verstappen ahead of him, it would have been even more challenging. He could have been looking at a P six. He walked away with a P three. It's still his championship to lose. 
but Mercedes need to do their homework. You know, the great thing, we don't know. And we don't even know when Red Bull get their act together, how much they're going to influence it. So stick sticking with my previous theme, I think we're going to have a good year. Unpredictable is everything. Let's go visit the podium, gentlemen. All right, presumably, Bradley, you have a thing of the weekend, and there were many delectable choices to be made. What did you settle on? Thanks for letting me go first, because it makes it much easier. My thing of the weekend is Gasly. Um, I never would have expected the Honda to get to the end and be fast enough to get him up to fourth place, albeit obviously with the, the Red Bull issues and, and Raikkonen's problem. Um he was in a class of his own among the midfielders, I think, today. So Gasly's my thing of the weekend. I'm going to go with Brad on this one. Pierre Gasly, what a mature performance. Eighth race in, 22, and he goes and gets fourth. I think I can't remember what was the best result from Toro Rosso last season, but I think he probably beat that by a country mile, so to speak. Right, well, I can't say Gasly, so I'm going to say that my thing of the weekend was Alonso finishing up his fourth in the drivers' championship, and McLaren a third. I don't think that's going to happen again. So I'm, I didn't gonna, know that. I'm going to wow. say that <laughs> the, the lead Renault team. Yep, McLaren third in the constructors after the double failure by Red Bull. Otherwise, they would have been fourth. So hang on, do I actually get to be smug? I told you. Yes, yes, you did tell us. They are there with a shot at a podium in the Constructors' Championship, Brad. Well done. I cannot believe that none of you picked Vettel. He actually won the race, he managed his tires, and he held off Botas, admittedly feeble-looking challenge, at the end. Uh, but it was it was really, really the kind of drive he is going to need every time that opportunity happens if he's going to stay with Hamilton. I think, for the bulk of the season. So I, I, I would give it to that. All right. From the best, we go to the worst. Was there a pony today for you, Anil? Come back to me. I can't right. think of one off the top of my head. Oh, good I'll lord. Go oh, yeah, I can. I can. I can. Yeah, Williams. Done. We're done. Williams. All right. Goldie, you're next. Red Bull for Ricardo's electrical issues. Pony. Pony Award. Yeah, yeah. Oh, pony, pony Award. These are the, See, I, I the, the whiners, the winners. Uh, no, no. No, Ferrari. Reason being, they've just been fined $50,000 by the FIA for the uh, unsafe release. As well okay, as... Gold, having... Goldschmidt doesn't understand the Pony Awards, so don't worry, no, neither no, did I. I've done it in a while, Brad. Okay, it's, it's fine. It's I think um, it's where someone whinges about something. Yes, that's what goes, the Pony Award Daddy, is. Daddy, I want a pony! Sorry, and I don't... I, I lack the temper. I haven't done this for, guys. So don't worry. So I'm like a loyal listener, and I'm like flat out on on Mist Apex every time I drive to work. So um, I have a pony award for you. In fact, I'll give you one that you can use, Goldschmidt. And Neil, you're on your own. Um, Magnuson um, whinging about um, Grosjean not letting him through. I, I think it was Grosjean's fault, but Magnuson did go off on one, didn't he? And and as a driver. Although it's difficult to always keep your head um, in the heat of the moment, I think it's positive um, if you don't just swear at your team and 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 have a go at them when that kind of thing happens. Everyone knows there was some kind of mistake there. It'd be better you'd be better off just kind of being a bit more mature about it and saying, "Guys, that wasn't ideal," and then they'll respect you a bit more for it. But um, the one for you, sorry, Goldschmidt, I said I'd give you one. Um, Hamilton, um, 
constantly complaining through the race yes. on his radio. Yes. Crofty complaining about blue flags. I don't I don't want to hear it again. So he, he's he's the biggest pony and he always will be. Well, my pony of the week goes to Toto Wolf, who in a pre uh pre-race interview, apologies for the uh, police sounds outside my window. Uh, in a pre-race interview, simultaneously managed to complain about not wanting to pay for uh, changes to the cars to improve overtaking, and then immediately turn around and complain about an actual cost cap that would keep their expenses down. And I thought that was just the kind of brilliant ponying that needs to be put out to the world at large. And then finally, we have and I think this is the one you're talking about, uh, the Missed the Apex Award. So, Goldie, who for you completely missed the Apex this weekend? Well, I'm going to go with Ferrari with what happened in the pit stop with Raikkonen. But then I'll also give it to Red Bull for their electrical failures for both Verstappen in qualifying and also in the race with Ricardo. You can't take two. You only get one. Is it Ferrari or is it Red Bull? I'm going to give it to Ferrari because, as I said, they've just been fined $50,000 by the FIA for the unsafe release with Raikkonen. There you go, Brad. Okay, um, I'm going to give it to Bottas for not making that move stick on the last lap. He had to go for that. That was career-defining. Painful. We know Anil is next then. Even if it ended in a crash. I have to point this out because people will say to me, oh, but, you know, he, he might have crashed. I don't care. I think people would have given him more credit for trying Ooh, instant, and it wouldn't have been a crash instant conspiracy had they crashed hamilton would have won yeah so it wouldn't have even all been bad his team wouldn't even have been annoyed at him it would have helped his team all right crashed. anil yeah i also got my awards mixed up this one's williams like just the most embarrassing display i've ever seen from them <laughs> since i can recall just terribly terribly bad and in fact, we could have technically given the Pony Award to Stroll because he had uh, he had a real bash at Williams um, after after um, after the first two practices in his interview. I don't know. For me, uh, who missed the apex? Mm. Mm, I have to say, McLaren qualifying just ouch did not look good for them. And frankly, they they saved it with their race performance, but. With Toro Rosso finishing so far up the grid, it just, yeah, ouch. So I'm going to give it to McLaren because they, I feel like they've lucked in their position thus far and there are deeper problems that they need to solve within their organization. And just don't get me wrong, I want them to do well. But right now, every time I look at them, it just gives me that, that same feeling you get when you see someone watch, walk right up to the edge of a cliff. And you're like, you could just take a step back, please, maybe, possibly. That's how I feel right now. And I hope they get their act together. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sticking around for so long. Anil, where can we find you? What are you up to? You can find me on Twitter at AnilP228, on Instagram at AnilPalmer90. I talk about all things Formula One. Uh, I like cat gifts. I like Simpsons. And I like whiskey. So give me a follow. Goldie, where can we find you? And hey, you've got some new gigs going on. Tell the world about them. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore G 1977. And I know Spanners hates underscores in Twitter names. He berates uh, Rainbow Sparkle Stevens about that. Um, got quite a lot of commentating going on this week. Um, 
I've just recently started working at a local volunteer FM radio station, Colne Radio. So I'm their bloke for motoring and motorsport, which hits the airwaves at four till six every Friday afternoon UK time. Um, appropriately titled Hitting the Asphalt, and which can actually be listened to on Mixcloud because every episode is downloaded. Um, I'm also in just under two weeks heading over to uh, a very specific karting track to make my European commentary debut. Um, Spanners is taking my place at Daytona D-Max at Rye House in two weeks, but I'll be over in Genk in Belgium um, to commentate on the opening round of the 2018 Rotax Max Euro Trophy on their live stream. So, uh, yeah, first European gig for me. Looking forward to it. And Bradley, do tell us what you're up to and where we can find you on the Twitters. Okay, so I'm up to racing in the VLN series, which is the Nürburgring's Endurance Championship, um, still for the Net Motorsport Peugeot team. Um, I actually should have been racing this weekend, but um, I'm obviously here with you guys, and I spent the weekend on my sofa watching motorsport because our car is still being repaired after an unfortunate round one incident a couple of weeks ago which wasn't anyone's fault other than a, a part which failed um so i'll be racing from june onwards and we've still got another seven rounds we can actually win the championship um still because there's two drop rounds um and you can find me uh, on twitter my handle's at bradley philpot that's easy isn't it um and on facebook you can search for bradley philpot motorsport please follow me i need followers i don't have very many oh youtube at braddude2k um that one was from when i was a teenager as for me, I'm at MattPT55 on the Twitters. You can also follow at SpannersReady and, of course, at MissedApexF1 all on the Twitters. Please do talk to us. We really do care about everything you say, we promise. And remember, chicks dig heels, wounds cause scars, and glory is a fungible concept under certain philosophical precepts. This has been Missed Apex Podcast. Now is the time I'm going to ask, was anyone actually paying attention to the chat room and keeping track of comment of the week? Once we, um, once it was became clear that there were some issues with the, the lagging on the live stream, I turned it off to prevent any further lagging. So um, I don't have any comments. <laughs> I don't have any positive comments that I saw on there to tell you. All right. You, Anil, I'm going to guess you didn't either. I did not. I was minimizing as much internet as I could. I was focusing it all so you could hear me, Matt. And Goldie, uh, you didn't even know exactly what the Pony Award was, so I'm not even going to ask you. Thank goodness, despite having to run the show from an inadequate computer, deal with Spanner's horrible internet connection, and uh, plus, having to plus, restart. Plus also, the amount of WhatsApp he's been sending in the in all in the Matt uh, in the uh, mistake. Yeah, I, I, I am. He, well. he he can he can make himself feel better by sending those messages all day long. Mm. Despite all of that, I do have a comment of the week. And originally, I was going to award it to Sandra Reynolds for her comment that um, the pit crew will now be surrounded by a halo when we were discussing the FIA situation. But in fact, the winner is, and congratulations, feel free to add it to your Twitter bio, Nuripian for his comment, strangely, Grosjean is not petulant in French interviews. He's very different. 
comment of the week. And the magic of... Gentlemen, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. No can problem. we... Um... Can we start talking as if we're not still being recorded anymore? Uh, one second. I'm going to say goodbye to probably the zero people left. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.